Story Station, Season 2, Episode 18. In this episode, you can listen to two Greek stories. The first story is titled, Clytemon. This story of unrequited love explains the origins of the sunflower and its radiance. The second story is titled, Apollo and Daphne. If you've ever read Greek mythology, you know how important morals are with the gods of Olympus. What you might not know is how they got to be there in the first place. Hope you enjoy it! I will read a story called Clyte. The sunbeams are basking on the high walls of the old garden, smelling on the fruit that grows red and golden in their warmth. Bees are humming round the bed of purple heliotrope and drowsily murmuring in the shelter of the soft petals of the blush roses whose sweetness brings back the fragrance of days that are gone. On the old gray sundial, the white-winged pigeons sleepily croon as they preen their snowy plumage, and the Madonna lilies hang their heads like the procession of white-robed nuns who dare not look up from telling their beads until the triumphal procession of an all-conquering warrior has gone by. What can they think of that long line of tall yellow flowers by the garden wall, who turn their faces sunwards with an arrogant assurance, and give stare for stare to golden-haired Apollo as he drives his blazing car triumphant through the high heavens? Sunflowers is the name by which we know those flamboyant blossoms, which somehow fail so wholly to suggest the story of Clyte, a nymph whose destruction came from a faithful, unrequited love. She was a water nymph, a timid, gentle being, who frequented lonely streams, and bathed where the blue dragonflies dart across the white water lilies and pellucid lakes. In the shade of the tall poplar trees and the silvery windows, she took her midday rest and feared the hours when the flowers drooped their heads and the rippling water lost its coolness before the fierce glare of the sun. But that there came a day when, into the dark pool by which she, she sat, Apollo the Conqueror looked down and mirrored his face. And never more did she hide from the golden-haired god, who from the moment when she had seen in the water the picture of him became the lord and master of her heart and soul. All night she awaited his coming, and the dawn saw her looking eastward for the first golden gleams from the wheels of his chariot. All day she followed him with her longing gaze, nor did she ever cease until the last reflection of his radiance had faded from the western sky. Such devotion might have touched this heart of the sun god, but he had no wish to own a love for which he had not sought. The nymph's adoration irked him, nor did pity come as love's pale substitute when he marked how, day by day, her face grew whiter and more white and her lovely form wasted away.
For nine days without food or drink, she kept her shamed vigil. Only one word of love did she crave. Unexacting in the humility of her devotion, she would gratefully have nourished her hungry heart upon one kindly glance. But Apollo, full of scorn and anger, lashed up his fiery steeds as each day drove past her, and ordained for her a glance more gentle than that which she threw on the satyrs as they hid in the dense green foliage of the shadowy woods. Half-mocking, Diana said, In truth, the fair nymph who throws her heart's treasures at the feet of my golden-locked brother, that he may trample on them, is coming to look like a faded flower. And as she spoke, the hearts of other immortal dwellers in Olympus were stirred with pity. A flower she shall be, they said, and for all time shall she live in life that is renewed each year when the earth stirs with the quickening of spring. The long summer days shall she spend forever in fearless worship of the, the god. And, as they willed, the nymph passed out of her human form and took the form of a flower, and evermore the emblem of constancy. Does she gaze with fearless ardor on the face of her love. The heart that is truly loved never forgets, but as truly loves on to the close. As the sunflower turns on her god which she sets, the same look that she turned when he rose. Some there are who say that not the bold-faced sunflower did her metamorphosis take place, but that into that purple heliotrope that gives an exquisite offering of fragrance to the sun god when his warm rays touch it. And in the old walled garden, while the bees drowsily hum, and the white pigeons croon, and the dashing sunflower gives Apollo gaze for gaze, and the scent of mignonette mingles with that of clove pinks and blush roses. The fragrance of the heliotrope is, above all, worthy incense to be offered upon his altar by the devout lover of a god. The end. I hope you enjoyed this story. The next story begins in a moment. I'll read a story called Apollo and Daphne. Conqueror of all conquerable earth, yet not always Vicious, victorious over the heart of a maid was the golden-locked Apollo. As mischievous Eros played one day with his bow and arrows, Apollo beheld him and spoke to him mockingly, What hast thou to do with the weapons of war? He said, Leave them for hands such as mine, that know full well how to wield them. Content thyself with thy torch and kindle flames, if indeed thou canst, but such bolts as thy white young arms can drive will surely not bring scathe to God nor to man. Then did the son of Aphrodite answer, and as he made answer, he laughed aloud in his glee. With thine arrows, 
thou mayst strike all things else, great Apollo, a shaft of mine shall surely strike thy heart. Carefully then did Eros choose two arrows from his quiver. One, sharp pointed and of gold, he fitted carefully to his bow, drew the string back until it was taut, and then let fly the arrow that did not miss its mark, but flew straight to the heart of the sun god. With the other arrow, blunt and tipped with lead, he smote the beautiful Daphne, daughter of Peneus, the river god. And then, full joyously did the boy god laugh, for his roguish heart knew well that him who is struck by the golden shaft must come the last pangs that have proved many a man and many a god's undoing. Well, that the lead and tipped arrow meant to whomever it struck a hatred of love, an immunity from all the heart weakness that love can bring. Those were the days when Apollo was young. Never before had he loved. But as the first fierce storm that assails it bends the young, supple tree with its green budding leaves before its furious blast, so did the first love of Apollo bend low his adoring heart. All day, as he held the golden reins of his chariot until evening, when its fiery wheels were cooled in the waters of the western seas, he thought of Daphne. All night he dreamed of her, but never did there come to Daphne a time where she loved love for love's sake. Never did she look with a gentle eye on the golden-haired god, whose face was the face of all exquisite things that the sunlight shows. Her only passion was the passion for the chase. One of Diana's nymphs was she, cold and pure and white in soul, as the goddess herself. There came a day when Apollo could no longer put curbing hands on his fierce longing. The flames from his chariot still lingered in the reflected glories on sea and hill and sky, and the very leaves of the budding trees of spring were outlined in gold, and through the dim wood walked Daphne, With beseeching hands, Apollo followed her. A god was he, yet to him had come the vast humility of passionate intercession to a little nymph. She heard his steps behind her and turned round, proud and ang angry that one should follow her when she had not willed it. Stay, he said, daughter of Peneus. No foe am I, but thine own humble lover. To thee alone do I bow my head. To all others on earth I am conqueror and king. But Daphne, hating his words, sped on. And when his passion lent wings to his feet, she heard him gaining on her as she fled. Not as a lover did Daphne look on deathless Apollo, but as a hateful foe. 
more swiftly than she had ever run beside her mistress Diana, leaving the flying winds behind her as she sped. Ran Daphne now. He had almost caught her when she reached the green banks of the river of which her father, Peneus, was god. Help me, she cried. Save me, O oh my father, from him who I fear. As she spoke, the arms of Apollo seized her. Yet even as her arms met her, Daphne the nymph was Daphne the nymph no longer. Her fragrant hair, soft white arms, her tender body all changed as the sunblood touched them. Her feet took root in the soft, damp earth by the river. Her arms sprouted into woody branches and green leaves. Her face vanished and the bark of a big tree enclosed her snow-white body. Yet Apollo did not move away. He knew that her cry to Peneus, her father, had been answered. Yet he said, Since thou canst not be my bride, at least thou shalt be my tree. My hair, my lyre, and my quiver shall have thee always, O laurel tree of the immortals. So do we still speak of laurels won and worn by those of deathless fame, and still does the first love of Apollo crown the heads of those whose gifts had fitted them to dwell with the dwellers of Olympus. I espouse thee for my tree, be thou the prize of honor and renown, the deathless poet and the poem crowned. Thou shalt the Roman festivals adorn, and after poets be by victors worn. Ovid The End I hope you liked this story. Thank you for listening to Story Station. We are adding stories as frequently as possible, so check back often. We would love to hear your feedback and any questions you may have. Thank you.